Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Generations of readers have grown up with Clifford the Big Red Dog. The lovable puppy recently made his debut on the big screen. In the scene we're about to play, 12-year-old Emily Elizabeth meets Clifford for the first time. My goodness, you're just the cutest thing I've ever seen. Look at you. He's so cute and, and so tiny. And so red. I love that he's red. (laughs) How did he get that way? I don't know. I think he's lost his family, so he's a little confused. Poor guy. I'll be your family. No, you will not. Please, Uncle Casey. He's so tiny, he wouldn't bother anyone. Mr. Bridwell, how big is he going to get? Well, that depends, doesn't it? On what? On how much you love him. Today, I'll talk with producer Jordan Kerner about the making of the movie, and why he thinks Clifford's message of love and inclusivity still resonates today. Here is producer Jordan Kerner. Hi, Jordan. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I love, love, love being at Scholastic. We love having you, and we're so thrilled about Clifford the Big Red Dog, the new movie. Please tell our listeners about it. Well... It was a project that 20 years ago, I came to Scholastic to try to option the rights. They were already gone to someone else. I couldn't get them. And when I was approached by Wick Godfrey, who was the chairman of Paramount at that time, Walt Becker, who was the director of the film, I was completely floored that they wanted me to come in. And for me, it was kismet. Well, Wanting to do it first, uh, as, as a person who's produced a lot of family films, the idea of having a 10-foot dog who is kind and loving to Emily Elizabeth, this girl, they have this relationship based on unconditional love. I felt this was a, a movie that I knew exactly what had to happen in the film and how to tell the story. And uh, this was my chance, and I was completely thrilled to be involved. What are some of the other films you've produced over the years, for kids especially? Well, I don't produce movies for kids. I produce movies for adults that are appropriate for kids. I feel that, that there needs to be two levels of humor um, in the films and emotion. And often um, they can come from words that sometimes for younger kids don't quite understand them. Or they can come with physicality and humor that make everyone laugh. So between those, that spectrum um, is, are the movies that I try to produce. And so the first one really, which became three, was The Mighty Ducks. That was back in 1992, 94, and 96. Uh, And it lives again today um, on Disney Plus uh, as a new series. And um, after that, uh, it was Three Musketeers. With Kiefer Sutherland and Charlie Sheen and Chris O'Donnell, Rebecca De Mornay, uh, Tim Curry. And uh, right after that was George of the Jungle, Brendan Fraser and Leslie Mann. Uh, and right after that, Inspector Gadget with Matthew Broderick and Jolie Fisher. 
After that, it was Snow Dogs uh, with Cuba Gooding Jr. and one of my heroes, James Coburn. And um, after that was Charlotte's Web for Paramount Pictures, uh, who also was the the company behind uh, Clifford. And that was Dakota Fanning. And then lastly were the three Smurfs movies uh, that were made uh, with Neil Patrick Harris and Jayma Mays and then on to Clifford. So many beloved movies, Jordan. That's remarkable. What are some of the unique challenges and rewards, really, of bringing a beloved children's classic to the big screen? Well, for me, it's funny. There are many challenges uh, and many rewards. But the first challenge that I always have in something like this is that in the case of Clifford with Norman Bridwell, the writer and artist, uh, or with Charlotte's Web uh, with E.B. White, I felt the soul and the uh, friendship from E.B. White. And I felt the same from Norman on my shoulder every day. And that makes me and, and I try to influence everyone else to feel the same. It makes me feel a huge debt of responsibility in trying to capture both the essence of what the books are because, um, and also Clifford, which was a picture book with a, a story in each one of them. Charlotte's Web was really a much more written out story. So it was much easier to translate in the picture book. The key thing for me was the relationship between Emily Elizabeth and Clifford and was the unconditional love that occurred between the two of them. Having said that, we needed to have a story. I wanted to make Emily Elizabeth a little bit older, being I have three daughters myself, and having uh, Emily Elizabeth as a six or seven-year-old, as she is in the books, limited us in terms of actors' abilities, and it also limited us in terms of venture story, the running and jumping and all the things that an actor has to do So we thought it would be a really terrific thing if we made her a tween somewhere around 12 years old, which is exactly what Darby Camp was when we filmed. And so she fit that bill perfectly. She truly did. What a job she does. And I love the bond between her and her friend Owen, who's played by Isaac Wang. Was that there from the start or did you watch the kids develop a friendship on set? The writing of the screenplay developed that close relationship as we, and that was a new character, not in the books, but when we made the decision to come to New York City and to move into a very diverse area in Harlem with a a very strong community uh, and relationship with one another. Owen in this very privileged school, who was a little bit of an outsider being Asian in this particular school, also complimented Emily Elizabeth Darby in that, who had come from Bridwell Island, who had grown up on an island and um, grown up in a place where there were very few people in a very small school. So to enter this larger school, she met a a tough set of girls, if you will, a few mean girls. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Who gave her a lot of trouble when she was first acclimating to the school. And Owen was incredibly generous as a character to bring her in. And what we found in Isaac was someone who was exceedingly funny. Yes. And so when he says, you know my name? Um, <laughs> it, it made all of us laugh. And we realized that we had a, a great relationship because Darby is excellent with comedy as well. And the two of them, as soon as Walt would say cut, they would go running off playing and laughing. Uh, 
So they already developed very quickly that relationship. And um, it was a joy for all of us. And we kept rewriting to add more and more as time went on. Like when they went into the car together and she was driving and he was panicked. We made them a comedy (laughs) duo in that. Oh, how adorable. Take us behind the scenes a little bit more with the making of the movie, the development of Clifford, who another challenge we might say is he doesn't talk. So that's a tough one for a movie. But just in terms of the set, making everyone feel like they're talking with a 10-foot dog, how do you do that? Well, let's go back to the first question in terms of Clifford and not talking. He didn't talk in Norman's books. He didn't talk in the puppy books that Norman had. He only started to speak in the early cartoon series. And for us... We felt that doing a talking dog movie ages the audience down a little bit because a lot of the jokes are kind of silly jokes that people have a tendency of writing for dogs. And we felt that having this dog who started out as a little puppy, the runt of the litter, who's separated from his family and has a big hole in his heart as a result of that, to lose that emotion by having him start being a wise guy made no sense to us. We stuck with the books where he uh, didn't speak. And we had to get all of his performance in his face and in his body movement. And that was, of course, something that the actors had to react to. And it was very hard for that to happen. And very early on, Walt recalled seeing a play called War Horse and seeing the horse who had a tremendous personality was actually played by two puppeteers One of them manipulated the head and the chest, and the other manipulated the torso and the rear and the rear legs and the tail um, of the horse. And he asked, could we create, since a horse is about eight feet tall and and Clifford for our movie was about 10 feet tall, um, at sometimes 12 feet tall, could we uh, create an equivalent of that um, for the, you know, for Clifford as a dog? And of course, Um, whenever you say something like that on a movie set or say it to me as a producer, I'm off and running. And uh, we all found two great puppeteers and a great company to build Clifford. And we built him just as Warhorse did with two puppeteers, one in the front, one in the back. And they conveyed all of the excitement and emotion by waggling the tail on the bottom, or they conveyed the emotion by the dropping of the head or all the things that dogs actually do. They were students of dog behavior. And it was a a lovely thing to watch on set for all of us, and especially for the actors, because it portrayed for them the emotion that they needed to react to, both in their physical performance and in their own emotions or or their own laughter and comedy. So having the dog and the puppeteers on the set at all times ready to come on, and we shot with the dog there, the what we called the Chinese dragon, or Big Clifford. Um, <laughs> we shot on the streets and in on the sets with Clifford at all times. And the reason we made him 10 feet to 12 feet tall, he varies a little bit in the movie, depending upon whether he's indoors or outdoors, is that without him, if he became what he was in the lighthouse book at 35 feet tall, he then becomes King Kong looking into a window in a movie. It's different when Norman was writing a book and every... In, in the 12 or 15 or 18 pages, he could have Clifford at a window and saying one line of dialogue. But we're a movie and we need to see him all the time. 
And um, to have him standing outside or in the, you know, in the cold or whatever it was, doesn't allow him to fully participate with the actors. So we made a decision like some of the other books that Norman wrote for Clifford, where he was 10 to 12 feet tall. Sometimes I know in Norman's books, he was even eight feet tall. So we were somewhere in the middle of that range <laughs> Got it. Uh, in doing it. And it allowed us to have him get through doors and get into rooms, whether it was in a school or whether it was in the apartment, wherever it might have been. And it allowed, as I said, the actors to have the third actor in the scene, our leading man, sorry, Jack, um, <laughs> be, uh, have someone to play off of. That's so neat. Hats off to Jack, too. What a performance. Amazing. Jack is such a, a both a funny comedian and has an uncanny ability to act without dialogue at times, to bring emotion, to grow as a character in front of us, and to interact with Darby, who he had a remarkable relationship with, the two of them. He respected her so much, and she respected him. And they got along like a house on fire, the two of them. Yeah, I could see that. And especially in the scene, for instance, when we were on the dock, and um, Clifford puts his head down and then lies down, and she... He says, why, what's going on with Clifford? Is he okay? And she said, he's trying to be small, which for me makes me cry every time I see it. I was watching Jack's face in that moment because Jack's face was so full of humanity and care as it was in the hospital um, when they thought that Bridwell had passed away, that Darby reacts in a, as a 12-year-old would react with some tears and frightened by it. But Jack reacts with pure empathy. Sad for a person he knew, but empathetic to his niece and was sort of the perfect uncle in that moment and watching him. So I like to say to people that for me, Jack is a combination of Tom Hanks and Jimmy Stewart. He's very handsome. He's very kind. He's very smart. And he's very funny. I think Jack has a huge career ahead of him. I would have to agree with that. I was so blown away by his performance. So would you say the doc scene is your favorite in the movie or do you have other favorites? Boy, there are so many scenes. Walking onto the sets, uh, actually, that were real sets, real uh, real environments on in Harlem on 154th Street, seeing the, the bodega, the deli, um, seeing the group of very diverse neighbors um, who I loved, every one of the actors, uh, and they were themselves very diverse. Seeing them interact made me feel like we were actually in a real community of people who both loved each other and squabbled together. And it made me feel like, oh my goodness, not unlike the Mighty Ducks, when we, we cast uh, all of our kids on the team, they were the only team with boys and girls, the only team with African-Americans, with Latinos, with Asians, with boys and girls. And we never said it. We never said those words. It was just what you saw. And you began to take in that teams can be like this. And in the same way, our neighbors are diverse in that same fashion. And I feel that, that they will give a strong point of view to the audience about inclusion um, and about what a diverse neighborhood can be like. It's not like some people might think where it's frightening or you have to if you're one ethnic group or another, you have to be wary of, of a different one. Not at all about that. We're all people we all love. And both Clifford and Emily Elizabeth help in that, but also 
it's a neighborhood that already is there pretty much. Yeah. And they're united in a mission. Yeah, so that was another Clifford. favorite scene to the yes. doc scene for me, yeah, was wild. just feeling the world that we were in, uh, in that. I love the little dog scene at the beginning, which was, you know, what they trained dog uh, from the pound who was rescued. And then the puppies, of course, who were all computer generated in that it was really interesting because they were basically little fur balls when we were shooting. Um, and then the visual effects group had to come in and and make them real dogs. And we had to work with them that hinted at why Clifford was a certain color because they had a little bit of a rose, a little bit of light red in them. So that he wasn't the only one in that family. And then I would also say that there are just so many scenes, the scenes in Cornell Tech, the, the tech hub that's out on Roosevelt Island was so, which a beautiful location, the new Cornell facility and for Life Grow, it was fascinating to look at. And I loved all the Life Grow actors with Tony and, and Jessica. And it was just a great environment also as a, as a set for me. Yeah, it was fun to see those scenes in, in Manhattan. You mentioned Bridwell. There's a character named Bridwell who's clearly named after Norman Bridwell. Tell us, he's played by John Cleese. Tell us how he made his way into the movie. Well, Walt and I early on were watching videotape of Norman to try to see what was in his head and what he was thinking so that we could be true to that in the film. In the same way, actually, I went to Cornell University, which is the repository of all of E.B. White's writing. And I held with white gloved hands, I held all of his notes for Charlotte's Web. In this case, we were able to watch Norman to actually talk about it. And uh, it was fantastic for us. And I sat back and I sort of scratched my chin and I said, he's impish and he's funny and he's <laughs> sweet. He has this huge heart. And he was so thankful that Scholastic loved his book as he did when a lot of others had said, no, it wasn't for them to publish. Um, but Scholastic saw what a, great, uh, what a great book it was. And I know Dick and Yole were very instrumental in shepherding that through the years. And we... I said to Walt, what if he became a character? You know, Walt loved the idea. And I worked with Jay and Dave, the writers, to make him uh, that character. We made him impish. We made him sweet. We made him magical, just like Norman was. Yes. And I had worked for uh, many movies with John Cleese. He was ape in George of the Jungle, <laughs> um, who was very funny ape. And he was uh, the sort of old and nasty sheep in Charlotte's Web who, excuse the expression, got uh, Robert Redford's goat, who <laughs> was actually a horse, um, who was scared of spiders. And um, Cleese was just terrific. And we became friends over the years. And um, I thought no one else could play the role. And when John said, yes, absolutely, I love the script. I was thrilled and knew that we would have a great character uh, in Brit Mr. Bridwell played by John Cleese. It's such a lovely addition. And he also, he trusts children. He sees the wisdom in children, which I know Norman did as well. Yes, no, he did. Absolutely. He has a lovely daughter, John, and is, is a very happy father in that and a wonderful human being. Um, in that same category of wonderful human beings, I was just searching for the right role for Kenan Thompson, who I love. <laughs> I love him too. And someone who I'd worked with since he was nine or 10 on the Mighty Ducks. Also the greatest mother on the planet. He, she was just lovely working um, with Kenan and us. So Kenan, we did two movies together, D2 and D3. 
and remained friends over the years. And he came in and played Greedy Smurf for me. Um, it was lovely having Keenan do that. And then Keenan, although we only had one day on our movie, it feels like he shot for weeks. <laughs> Let's play a clip from Keenan's star turn as Clifford's baffled veterinarian. Is he all right? Yeah, I'm, well, he's a... Whew. Are you going to examine him? Yes, I am, because I'm, I'm a veterinarian. That's what I do. I, I examine animals. Mm. Mom, take a look inside your mouth there, buddy. Oh, easy. You want to maybe tell him? Oh, yeah. Clifford. Good boy. Good job there, buddy. All right, let me take a look there. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. That's the large <laughs> teeth on the big red dog. Yeah, so why don't we get you on the scale here, bud? But slowly... It's just a platinum edition of the X-9000. Yeah, sorry about that. No problem. I'm just going to write heavy. So much of what happened in the vet's office was his ad-libbing. Uh. And he's just great. We shot, the, we shot what was written in the script. And then Walt knew that Keenan was really great at that. And we shot many more takes with Keenan just doing whatever he wanted to do. Um, and we used so much of what Keenan did. And he is a dad of two daughters and loves family movies. You know, he's just one of those human beings who is beloved by everybody who works with him. And I feel so grateful that he and Mr. Cleese yes. um, joined us for this. There were other friends on the movie, the Jarvis family, the attorneys in the neighborhood, the husband uh, played by Keith. Keith was coincidentally a very close friend of Walt's and coincidentally a very close friend of mine. It was the only connection we had besides loving to do movies that are for families. And Bear, who plays his wife, was my daughter, uh, Lily's, uh, who's a senior in high school, was her debate coach and an actress who had done mostly commercials, but she has this just smart and beautiful manner about her. And they played such a great married couple in that. So there were friends from all different areas that came in and, and did the movie for us. Well, congratulations. It's a hilarious, adorable movie with lots of intrigue for adults, I will say. Absolutely. we. Um, one of the things that we have found with the movies that I produced over the years is that one third of the audience is kids, one third is adults uh, who are parents, and one third are adults who are nostalgic for the books like Clifford. So that in a funny way, we have more adults in the audience than kids. So we really do need to make the movie for adults <laughs> so that adults sit there and enjoy the movie as much or more than the kids do. But the kids really love the movie because we don't ever talk down you know, or make it a young movie. We make it a movie that if you're four or if you're 104, you're going to find yourself loving the films. Well, I know that I did. So thank you so much for thank joining you. me. My great thanks again to producer Jordan Kerner for joining me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about Clifford the Big Red Dog, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Bridget Benjamin, associate producer Constance Gibbs, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. 
I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.